I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story. Welcome to our study on the fourfold gospel. There's a link in the show notes to the lesson book that we're working through together. Basically, this study looks at all four gospel accounts together, and there are some questions we work through to guide us in our study. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. It's actually time to begin. Let's start with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into catching up with where we are in our class. Dear God in heaven, we thank you so much that we've been able to come out here to Bible class together to be able to study from your word. We pray that you be with all those who might not be able to be with us due to illness or whatever problems that they might have. Help us to be lights in the world for you and to embrace the truth and and continue to study your word and to live your will for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so last time... The last couple times, we've been focused on the baptism of Jesus in the context of John's baptism. And if we look at uh, Luke chapter 3, right there toward uh, verse 21, we saw that uh, all the people were coming out being baptized, and um, Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, and then the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And then this seems to mark the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is uh, sort of the public proclamation that that Jesus, uh, doesn't quite use the words here, but that Jesus is the Christ. You might think of even this relating to his anointing. because then we see from here on out is where his ministry begins. And in, and in Luke's account right there, then we have the genealogy. Of course, we've already studied that because we're trying to put these together, and Matthew puts it first, and so we, we kind of logically put that first. But I think this also kind of makes the point. That's why it's putting it here, I think, is that... Is that uh, Jesus is the Christ, he's the king, the come, and then this argument is made here from the lineage of Jesus. But then the next thing in the sequence there is is the temptation of Jesus. Page 13, <laughs> the little section there, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness is, is where we move on to here. And uh, it's covered in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark just kind of says he was tempted, but uh, Matthew and Luke give a little more detail. But let's just look at Luke's account and then, of course, compare some things we get from that. So if we go to Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1, let's read verses 1 through 13 and then jump into our questions. Luke 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. 
The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Okay. So the question number 11 there at the top of page 13 asks us, by whom and for what purpose was Jesus led into the wilderness? He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Right here in our, in our Luke version of this, it says that in verse 1. Uh, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. And then verse 2 talks about being tempted. Okay? Number 12. How long did Jesus fast? Forty days. And that's mentioned in all three of our accounts there, verses 1 and 2 here in Luke. So then the question is sort of a thought question. Briefly state what you believe his physical, mental, and emotional conditions might have been. Or maybe maybe a, a prep question to that is, how long have you ever gone without eating? And I, I can't say it's been 40 days. Um, I think three one time, maybe? I don't know. Anyone ever taken some time off from eating for whether dietary reasons or whatever? And, you know, how, how do you feel after that? <laughs> yeah. And someone holds some candy out or whatever. You're like, well, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Marty? Right, so we sure, certainly should assume that there was water. He had water, but but without food. Um, so you'd be pretty desperate. You'd be, you'd certainly be hungry at the very minimum, but not like how we get hungry. Oh, it's time for lunch. You know, we're hungry, but but rather, you're desperate for food in a way that we probably really can't identify. As blessed as we are in our country, and and how. 
out of practice we are in, in practicing fasting. That's where the word, that, that's where the word starving comes. I mean, that's where. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean that, that would be the ultimate. That would be that would be starving. That's for, for me. Yeah. Interpretation of starving would be forty days. Yeah, you would feel like your life is in danger. You wouldn't just think I'm uncomfortable and my stomach's grumbling. Right? right. It'd be like this is prolonged and. Their church, I mean, yeah. Rumble. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think you're. I think you're right, and 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 so you'd you'd have, you'd feel vulnerable, right? You feel like, well, I'm at risk here. Um, you'd be worn out. You'd be kind of maybe a feeling of, of desperation, right? That's some of the, the thoughts I had. But I think Jesus with God, you know, with God, you know, with Jesus, it's probably a whole different. You know, there might have been, some, you know, he was a man, but he was also. And that's the tension in the story, isn't it, right? Because, like, well, he's, he's God, so maybe this doesn't count or something. But yet, as you said, he's man, so he's, he actually, in, in that body that he's occupying, he needs food, and he's been foregoing it for 40 days. And that's rough. And so, but he has an outlook. I mean, he has an understanding, an eternal outlook that really we, we ought to have as well from what we read. But, but being God, I mean, he has... More of a first-hand perspective on that, uh, but the point is, he's an example for us, right? Would, would, would we have the fortitude to do something like that? You know, would yeah. we have the the chutzpah or the, the you know whatever you want to call it? The, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's challenging, right? This, this isn't something I see myself doing. Oh, let's go, let's go try this. Hey, let's start now and let's not eat for forty. You know. <laughs> And with different health conditions, I mean, some of us may be able to do better at that than others or whatever, but, but it would be a profound challenge. And I, and I think we're to understand it was for him as well. Right. Occupying a human body, um, this was hard. Marty? The fellow that I worked with, he did a Grand Canyon hike, I guess it was late spring or early summer, and he didn't plant his water well enough. Oh. Yeah, and some people, I mean, he obviously lived to tell that story, but I mean, some people, they find in the desert, and you know, what happened? Well, they probably weren't prepared and, and suffered and struggled and, and perished. So I think, we're, I think we're to understand that. We think about what Jesus went through, um, you know, in the human body that we all experience, that what this would be like. It would be very difficult. Of course, he chose to do this, uh, led by the Spirit, uh, as an example for us, but also in, in, in prayer and, and all of the good things he's doing here. So let's, let's think about the next question here. Number 13, what did Satan say to Jesus in an effort to get him to turn stones into bread? And then how did Jesus answer that? Yeah. And jumping ahead in my notes a little bit here, um, but I think it's worth bringing out even now. You know, in Genesis 3, 6, with, with uh, the serpent in the garden tempting Eve, deceiving Eve, you know, we have there in Genesis 3, 6 that, that she saw that the tree was, she saw, the, uh, let's see, <laughs> the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, 
and that it was desirable to make one wise, you know, the, 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 the tree of the knowledge, the, the tree of the fruit of the, let's see, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the, the knowledge of good and evil, it was like, I want to have, you know, more knowledge about that. And then we see also in, in uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, where these concepts are sort of summarized, that all, all the sins refer to the, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And so we see the flesh appealing to Eve and that the good for food. And then we see the eyes, you know, it says it's a delight to the eyes. It, was, it looked good. The fruit looked good. And then it was desirable to make one wise is that pride of, of life. And I think we're going to see these same concepts here. Of course, Eve was deceived, and, and then Adam also sinned. So we have the defeat there of man in the garden. And then we have the Son of Man, Son of God, going through a similar exercise here, but having victory and having success. So we have a, a failure on the part of Adam and Eve, and then we have this perfect example here of, of Jesus. I think that's one of the things we're to take from this. So as we think about commanding the, the stones into bread, I mean, Eve probably wasn't starving in the garden. They had all these, you know, all the fruit, the fruit of the tree of life and all these things that were available there, but yet she was still appealed to her. But all the more, you can imagine Jesus having not eaten for 40 days, that, uh, hey, that's a good idea. I could enjoy some bread right now. I mean, that would make sense, right? So we, I think we can see, being humans, how that would have some sort of appeal to the, to the lust of the flesh. We would get hungry. We'd want that. Okay? Did we talk about how Jesus answered this with, with, with Scripture, right? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Okay? And that's, that's how Jesus answers all of these. We should, we should know the Scripture so we can be prepared to answer temptations as well. And he's quoting from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, when he, when he quotes that. So the Scripture is, of course, the Old Testament, right? Okay, question 14 and 15. Now, depending on whether you're looking at Matthew's account or Luke's account, there's a little bit of a sequence difference. So let's just play along with Luke's account, because that's what we just read, but, but bear in mind, of course, that there is a sequence difference for these two questions if you look at Matthew. Number 14, what was Satan's second appeal to Jesus, and how did Jesus answer it? He took him up on a high mountain and uh, showed him all the kingdoms, and then uh, said to him that he would give him all authority over all his kingdoms, that he only would take it. Right. Right, and I have a, a note there that's from again from Deuteronomy chapter six, verse thirteen. So Jesus knew his Bible. And when I say his Bible, right? He wrote it, right? He's God. Those are good, yeah, those are Jesus' words. Right, right. Both both in terms of quoting it and in terms of being the author of the Bible to begin with. Okay, so we have this idea uh, as we've talked about with with Eve and, and with John's comments. This would relate to seemingly lust of the eyes, because 
uh, he seems to take him uh, to see these things, right? Am I getting that right? Am I getting Matthew? <laughs> I don't want to get these mixed up. Uh, yeah, I think the devil took, took him, showed him, verse 5, he showed him all these things. And, and how is this even a temptation? What, how are we to understand this? I mean, is devil, does the devil have any authority over these things? Is this just a made-up? Of course, the devil's deceiving, but yeah, or the prince of the power of the air, all these different things. So certainly God's in charge and God rules all. But yet, but yet, God gives us free will, right? And so Jesus is coming to bring people to rec- be reconciled to God and they need to reconcile them to God because they're not reconciled. They're off doing their own thing, right? And so there's a sense in which all these people who... Jesus is coming to save are their allegiances to the devil. And so there's a sense in which he's got a point here. So he's maybe saying, well, I'm, I'm in charge of all these sinners, but I'll, you, know, you, you came to save the sinners. So maybe instead of dying on the cross, I'll just let you have, I'll just, I'll just let you have them. But you got to worship me, right? Well, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. Can't worship the devil. It's not, there's no shortcut, right? But that's sort of the appeal, I think. Marty? Something struck me. Yeah. I'll show you this letter. Yeah, and it seems like maybe it's some kind of vision here, right? Like, like that scene in Aladdin where they're on the magic carpet and they're like going to see the Taj Mahal and all these things. I don't know if you've all seen that cartoon, but you know, there's this there's this moment where they kind of go all over the world, you know. Uh, well, that's sort of miraculous or something, or it's a vision, I think. Um, it's funny how he, how the devil, how 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 it says in there, the devil took him up and showed him, like Jesus was willing to go and at least you know hear his. Mm-hmm. Here is spiel, but then of course Jesus come right back with, you know, you shall serve your, you, know, you shall serve your God. Yeah, and not that dissimilar from where we see in the early parts of Job, where we have Satan talking to God about about Job and having this conversation. It seems to be perhaps similar to that here. Okay, other thoughts on that, Dixie. Well, And that's the lesson, right? That's certainly part of the lesson, is that we can do it too. I mean, all of sin involves for the glory of God, but but yet He is giving us an example that's purposeful for us to to follow here. The ultimate example. Okay. All right. So the um, question fifteen asks us then about the the third appeal. What was Satan's third appeal to Jesus, and how did Jesus answer that third appeal? Again, let's follow Luke's account here to keep it simple. Verse 9. What is this one? He went to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, 
the devil's taken taking it up a notch. He's quoting scripture now, right? So, well, what's wrong with that? I mean, he's quoting scripture. It must be right. Well, <laughs> we can misapply scripture, can't we? So the the temptation is go up here and to the top of the temple and throw yourself down. Why why would that be any kind of appeal for Jesus, hungry in this desert and <laughs> with everything he's facing? Yeah, there's that pride. If you're the Son of God, you could kind of imagine that throughout his ministry. I mean, he is the Son of God. He is God. Before Abraham was, I am. Something he could say. But yet, all, everybody's arguing with him and all these conflicts, and they're, you know, not respecting him. Well, don't you know who I am? You know, we might, that might be a human response to that, right? Well, I think that's what the devil's appealing, appealing to here right from the start. Well, if you are the Son of God... You know, because he's denying that. And so I think the idea would be partly that pride, but also that, you know, maybe avoiding the cross. Hey, instead of being tortured on the cross and all that, why don't you just sort of jump off the, te- the temple, but yet have the angels catch you and, and it'll be all good. And every, everyone will then be persuaded to think you are the, you're the Christ and clearly God's in your court there or whatever. Um, of course, that's not God's plan. We don't want to follow the devil's temptations here. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test is his response. And I have that also from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. Yeah, I think uh, this type-antitype relationship that you're bringing out, um, I think I mentioned it maybe a few weeks ago uh, in relation to Jesus' birth and um, how Herod wanted to kill the babies, kind of like with Moses, and how Pharaoh wanted to kill the babies, and and, uh, and then out of out of Egypt I called my son. It's another uh, reference to those things. Uh, I think the Jesus' baptism. We could think about the parting of the Red Sea and, and these sorts of things, and um, you know the cloud, and the Spirit, and the dove, and all these things kind of echo one another, uh, certainly here as well. In John's Gospel, I think Logan brought it at the Lord's table, was it John 6, where it talks about the, the manna in the wilderness and how Jesus gives the true bread and these sorts of things. So there's, there's lots of echoes of those, of those things and here as well. Amen.
Well, I, I think it harkens back to 1 John 2.16 where we see that that seems to be big picture, like kind of what all sins relate to is, is either the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. And I think if we think about different sins, maybe they even touch on more than one of those things. Um, but but that kind of sums it up. And so I'll, that seems to be how we see it portrayed with the Garden of Eden, the fall of man, and then and then here with Jesus, of course, being successful. So that, I mean, that may explain why the devil then used those. Because Jesus is in human form here. Again, I'm not denying the deity of Christ, but I'm also not denying the humanity of Christ here. He, he came in a form of a man, and so he had... Uh, he experienced these things in a way that, that we can understand as well, but yet without sin. Right? Right? An example for us. We need to have our scriptures ready and have our uh, convictions we have to make our, make our decisions before we get into these things, right? We need to know who we are and remember who we are and behave accordingly. We don't always get it as right as Jesus because we're not him, but we, that's our ideal, that's our example, and that's what we need to continue to strive for and keep working on. Okay? Number 16, both, since both Satan and Jesus use Scripture, describe the basic differences and how they used it. So, of course, Jesus used it right. <laughs> and, yeah, Satan twisted it. I wrote a, a verse here. Second Peter 3.16 says, As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some, there are some things in them, in Paul's writings, that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. And so I think that's the idea here. Um, yes, we, we might quote scripture, but we can also twist and misapply those things to our own destruction. And I think that's what the devil did here. Whereas Jesus, we might say he, he rightly divided or rightly handled the word of truth, 1 Timothy 2.15. So we should obviously follow Jesus' example. Okay? Anything else on that? Remember the Garden of Eden, Satan added that one word, not. Right. He sort of quoted Scripture, but not. <laughs> it doesn't count. <laughs> and of course, the application to our religious neighbors that uh, certainly are using the scriptures but misapplying those things and the danger for us I mean are we you know we need to be careful that we apply the scriptures carefully as well and not simply say well I've got a scripture for that and so therefore this is right well are we are we really understanding that right are we taking it in the right context that sort of thing okay so the next section here is uh, kind of harkens back to the baptism but it's it's John's account. So let's look at John chapter 1. And I know Cheryl kind of was uh, eager to jump forward to this. And, may, and maybe in hindsight we should have just edited the book and put this back with that other part. But 
even as it says here in Luke's account in verse 13, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time, right? So this isn't like, oh, temptations are over for you, good job, it's over. No, sort of a break, right? And that's for us as well as we face temptations and we're successful in that. Well, that's not the end of the story. We, we need to be on guard. Thank you, Dee, for that. So actually, we're pretty close to the end of our class. Um, we'll we'll uh, look to get here in, into this next little section about John the Baptist testifying of Jesus next time, Lord willing. And that really does echo a lot of the things we saw earlier with the baptism. It's just that John doesn't mention specifically that he baptizes Jesus, but, but some of the things that were said about Jesus, John account, uh, recounts those things here as well. So thank you, and we'll end our class. I love to tell the story T'will be my theme in glory To tell the old, old story Of Jesus and His love